Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. As we continue our study of the Hall of Fame of Faith, the writer of Hebrews is reminding of, uh, us of faithful men and women in the past who, who uh, exhibited their faith through their lives. We've looked at several folks, and today we want to look at Moses, one of the giants of the Old Testament. The scriptures tell us here that by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today. I have a, uh, an early childhood memory of being inside my closet. Uh, I, I, I like to hang out in the closet and have books to read. And I remember one of the books, uh, I brought a lamp in there and it was kind of a nice little cubby hole. Uh, and I remember one of the books was Cinderella. Uh, it's not a very manly book. Uh, but I remember it was one of those chunky books, cardboard books, and, and I always enjoyed Cinderella, you know, moving from rags to riches and, and being vindicated. She was a, a virtuous person, and uh, the evil stepmother and stepdaughters got it in the end. It was a Disney book from the 1950 film. We love those rags to riches stories, and, and maybe if Cinderella's a little too feminine for you. Uh, you can think of others, uh, other movies, for example, Rocky. That's a rags to riches story. Or My Fair Lady, to go back to the feminine side. Pygmalion, which the, was based on, uh, the movie was based on that book. Uh, or if you live in Mississippi and you're an Ole Miss fan, The Blind Side, the story of Michael Orr, who was, you know, lived in the hood and rose, now he's a professional football player. A rags to riches story. Uh, we could go on and on. Annie, uh, or The Pursuit of Happiness, which is a movie that was on the other day, uh, about a man who was fighting homelessness and, and uh, achieved great things in the business world and is wealthy today. We love those rags to riches stories. They, they speak to us. And as I was thinking about Cinderella, I did a little research and found out that Cinderella is a story that is worldwide and is ancient. It, is, it goes back to like 70 uh, A.D., I mean, it, in China, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, Africa, all over the world, these, this story of Cinderella has variations, but it's the same basic plot line because human beings love that rags-to-riches story. Well, today, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging our faith by pointing us to Moses, whose life up to the age of 40 was a rags-to-riches story. It's so, uh, my hope today that your faith will be encouraged as we consider three things from this passage that we just read. Uh, three things, three points. The decision of faith, the rationale of faith, and the object of faith. First, let's think about the decisions of faith as we think about the life of Moses. The story of Moses is... Familiar to, to most of you, I am sure. Just to sum it up, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, were dwelling in Egypt where they had relocated during the time of Joseph. 
However, as time moved on, the Egyptians didn't view the Hebrews as friendly residents there in Egypt, and so they enslaved and oppressed the Hebrews. Great suffering the Hebrews underwent, according to the scriptures, by, at the hand of the Egyptians. Well, even though uh, they were oppressed, the Hebrew population continued to grow, and this made the ruler, the pharaoh of Egypt, very nervous, and so he decreed that all the babies, all the male babies that were born to Hebrew mothers should be killed. Well, Moses' parents, of course, did not want to lose their child, and so they hid him for a while, but they realized that they could not hide him forever. So his mother made a little ark. If you go back to the original Hebrew, the word for the basket that she made and put him in is the word for ark, same word for Noah's ark. His was a much smaller scale, I'm sure. But still a little vessel that he, uh, that he was delivered in. So he's, she floated him out on the river, and then he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him and brought him up as her own son. So Moses was a dead man walking before he could even walk. And then suddenly he became Egyptian royalty. It was truly a rags to riches story. And furthermore, Acts 7.22 tells us that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Not only was his life spared to become royalty, but the royal life suited him well. He excelled there in the court of Pharaoh, doing great deeds and being instructed in all the ways of the Egyptians. He enjoyed this lifestyle of privilege, security, wealth, and pleasure for 40 years. Acts 7 gives us a few more details of what changed. We read about the change that came in his life in the passage that we just read. When Moses was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he identified with the people of God, with their mistreatment. Acts 7 tells us when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses made a decision when he was 40 years old. He decided to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It came into his heart, the text tells us, or Acts 7 tells us, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, because he wanted to save them from their oppression. He, he left behind all the treasures of Egypt and the fleeting pleasures of sin to identify with God, his people, and their cause. And verse 24 tells us that it was by faith that he made this decision. It was the faith that was handed down to him from his parents who had influenced him at an early age. You'll recall that for the first three months or so of his life, he lived at home. Of course, 
what, how much can a three-month-old uh, understand? But through the circumstances of Pharaoh's daughter uh, finding him and uh, adopting him, uh, his sister was following, as you recall in the story, and she said, uh, why don't I find some Hebrew lady uh, to bring him up for you? And of course, she went and got Moses' real mother, and she was there to raise him and to instruct him in his early days. So certainly the faith that he received at a young age made an impact upon him. It, it certainly must have uh, influenced his decision. But it took a long time, didn't it? One wonders what happened at the age of 40 to make this sudden change in his life. Well, I assume that it was the Lord working in his heart because Acts 7 tells us that it, it came into his heart to reach out to his brothers. The Lord moved his heart to accept, believe, and embrace the truth that his parents had given him so many years ago. And that fueled the decision that he made. Well, here's the question for us today as we contemplate this decision, this life-changing decision to identify with God, his people, and their cause. Uh, as we think about Moses doing that, what about us? Have you ever made the decision Moses made? And what I mean by that is, was there a time in your life when you decided in your heart to identify with the Lord, his cause, and his people? Now I know for a fact that some of you can point to a specific day in your life where you made a decision. May 17, 1980, my life changed. I can point to that, that moment in time, and I, from that moment on, have identified with Christ and his cause. But some of you, I know for a fact also, you are not able to remember any decisive moment where you made that decision because you were raised in a Christian home, you attended church all your lives, you've heard the stories, the scriptures, over and over again. So I'll ask the question another way to you. Are you now, in your heart, decidedly identified with the Lord, His cause, and His people? Is that near and dear to your heart? Is Christ near and dear to your heart? Is His cause near and dear to your heart? And His people as well, His church. What are you pursuing in your life? You look at Moses, he had an extremely comfortable life, certainly in the palaces of Egypt. And many today are pursuing a similar good life, the good life. Comfort, pleasure, and treasure. We talked a bit about this last week as we contemplated uh, our culture and, and that it is an entertainment culture. Everything is about being entertained. We, we have phones that... We rarely use as phones. We use them to, to watch movies or TV or, or play games, etc. Just stuff to fill our days with entertainment upon entertainment. We, we can fall into our culture's trap of just 
spending our time and our days which pass by moving from one episode of being entertained to the next. And some people are are pursuing the American dream, freedom which includes the opportunity for prosperity and success. That would be the good life. The American dream, upward social mobility for ourselves and our children to, to be able to climb the ladder of success. But like Moses, what I'm telling you today and what the writer of Hebrews is telling you is you need to recognize that these things that we tend to pursue in this world are fleeting and that there is something greater to be pursued, something more meaningful, something with greater depth and something that is lasting. 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Moses had the good life. And he went from rags to riches. He had the American dream thousands of years before America even existed. And he turned it all down. He left the fleeting pleasures for lasting treasures. Have you done that? Well, that's the decision of faith. Everyone must come to that faith, faith uh, place where they've decided in their heart to identify with Christ, to embrace Him in faith. Have we done that? It should be a, a decisive thing. Maybe you don't remember a time that's, not, that's immaterial. Have you now? Have you now made that decision? Well, secondly, not only did He make a decision, but there's some rationale behind that. Why did He make that decision? What is the rationale behind a decision to put faith in the Lord? You think about all that Moses left behind, the wealth, the security of of being one of the royalty, the power he would have enjoyed, the prestige he would have had, and all the pleasures at his fingertips. That's what he left behind, but what did he gain? Verse 25 tells us that he got mistreatment with the people of God. He chose that, it tells us. Why would he do that? That seems very odd to us in our day and time, wouldn't it? If someone offered you all the treasures of Egypt, uh, to have all that comfort and all that pleasure and all that security, would you turn it down? Moses did. And why would he do that? Why would he not only turn it down, I mean, he could have turned it down for, for nothing, but he turned it down for something worse, for mistreatment with the people of God. Well, verse 26 tells us why he would do such a crazy thing. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, what is meant by the reproach of Christ? That's a bit strange when you think about the timeline here, because Moses, of course, predated Jesus Christ by many, many, many years. But as we think about Christ, and the, let, let's just think for a moment about Christ and what reproach did he get? What was Christ's life like? Well, Isaiah 53 tells us, prophesying about him, he was despised and rejected by man, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Psalm 22, describing the Messiah. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. And then the New Testament tells us John 1, for example. He was in the world, took on human flesh and came to us. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. And in Mark 9, Jesus says that the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And that's exactly what happened to him. That very word contempt is used when he is beaten by Herod's guard. He suffered many things. The reproach of Christ, that was his reproach. He was the Messiah to come to a rebellious world, the envoy of God, the mediator between God and man. And, and this is how an envoy of God is received by sinful people. They don't want the envoy of God. They don't want the ambassador of God. They want to be God. And so when it says that Moses... Consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was taking on that same sort of role. He is a, a precursor of a Christ. He was a deliverer for God's people. Uh, of course, he led them out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land. And it's, a, it's a picture of Christ and what Christ has done for us. So to be the envoy of God, to be the representative of God, the ambassador of God to his people to help save his people from their oppression and bondage. In doing so, he was reproached. To take that position on, he had the reproach of Christ. First of all, he was reproached by Pharaoh when he appeared in the courts. They laughed at him, they mocked him, they rejected him, uh, they lied to him. And then when they finally left, crossed the Red Sea and began wandering in the wilderness, the people he delivered reproached him. At certain times they wanted to put him to death because they were hungry or thirsty. They wanted all the creature comforts that they had back in Egypt. They were so wonderful. So he was not appreciated. He had the same type of reproach that Jesus Christ had as the representative of God to deliver his people. Now think about this for a moment. Moses would rather have the reproach of Christ than great treasure. He was an envoy of God, a deliverer of God's people, and he was reproached for it. Our text says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. See, it's not that he was simply putting up with the reproach of Christ. Okay, I will endure the reproach of Christ instead of 
having the treasures of Egypt. I'll give all that up and I'll, I'll go through this difficult thing. It doesn't say that. It says he treasured the reproach of Christ. He believed the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He would rather have the reproach of Christ than all the wonderful things that he could have living in the royal courts of Egypt. Why? That seems odd, doesn't it? To be abused instead of pampered. Who, who would take that? Moses. It tells us exactly why. Because he was looking to the reward. Now that does not mean that Moses was saying, well, there's something in it for me. Uh, you know, at the end, I'm going to get paid off somehow or another by God. I don't think that was his motivation at all. I don't think that's what the text means. The reward wasn't something all for himself. It was the reward of the Lord himself. To have the Lord, to have the Lord, to be in fellowship and communion with the Lord and to be aligned with his cause and his people. He wanted God and his people, and to be part of that cause, to be part of that kingdom. That was his treasure. It was God himself. He was looking to having a relationship with the Lord by following him wherever that took him. Jesus was the same way, see? Moses points us to Christ. Because the writer of Hebrews is going to continue on. He's telling us about all these wonderful people in Hebrews 11. But really the point is Hebrews 12. Because he, he wants you to be inspired by these individuals who, who had faith in God. But he goes on and says, you know, we look at the great cloud of witnesses around us. That should inspire us to lay aside the, the, the sin that so easily clings to us. It should inspire us to endure in the race but what we do need to do more than anything else is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, it was the joy that was set before him. I've said this to you before, what was that joy? It was the joy of delivering God's people. It was the joy of, of saving souls. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he went through all that he went through. He humbled himself and became a servant on behalf of God's people to save them from their sins, and that gave him great joy. Same way Moses, you know, the, 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 the idea of, of going and, and so loving God's people and so loving God and his cause that he wanted to follow him and do whatever he would ask, that was the reward for Moses. That's why he would say, I, I would rather be reproached than to have all the treasures of Egypt. Now the question for us today is, what is the rationale behind your life, behind the pursuits of your life? Is it just self-serving? Are you simply uh, thinking, you know, uh, this life is all about, you know, having the most toys at the end. That's the person that wins. Is this life all about just creating a nice, secure place for myself? Is this life all just about uh, me and mine and 
You know, what I can gain and secure in this world, if that's it, then when you die, that's, that's it. Those things you can't take with you. And thirdly, finally, the object of faith. You know, I could, I, we, we could sit here today and look at Moses or Abraham or any of the other ones they've listed uh, in the Hebrews and, and think to ourselves, and I could say it out loud, you know, you ought to be like them and, and lay a guilt trip on you and say, look at your life. It's pathetic compared to Moses and the self-sacrifice that he made, and you need to bear down and do better, be more giving, more serving. But that will only last a short amount of time because guilt is a poor motivator. Or fear. I could, I could cause you to fear. You know, we could look at them and say, well, I've got to be like Moses in order to win God's approval. Well, that would be a wrong way to look at it as well. Or I could just think about what's in it for me. I could be very selfish about it and say, you know, I, I should be like Moses or Abraham or any of these other wonderful saints of the Old Testament and think, you know, they obviously flourished and people are still talking about them thousands of years later. You know, I could be that kind of person. So guilt, fear, selfishness, these are not good motivators. As we said before, the, only gr the greatest motivator is Christ himself. You know, what would fuel someone to bear the reproach of Christ, to, to make that the, the, the driving force of their lives instead of themselves? It's because of Jesus' example. And not just his example, but what he's actually done for you. The, the grace that you experience in Christ. You know, the, 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 the wonderful thing that he's done for you freely, without you asking. He loved you so much that he, he came to earth and, and he suffered and died and paid for your sins on the cross. As you think about that, that's what he's saying. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He despised the shame of the cross for you. And as you think about that, you know, the, the great sacrifice that he's made on your behalf, let that fuel your love and desire to know him. He, he loved me and he paid attention to me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. I want to know someone that loves me that much. And he, and he says, look, if you want to know me, <laughs> I'm available. Uh, come to me. As we said before, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. You know, throughout Scripture, this is what, what, what is being told to us. Paul tells the Corinthians... You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich, not in this world, but rich in all the things that he provides for eternity. Or Philippians 2, he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he took on the form of a servant, being, made, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at Christ. Look at what he's done for you and let that 
fuel your passion in life. Be passionate about him and his cause and his people. There's a great reward in that that's better than all the treasures that we could amass. It's better, better than the American dream. It's better, from, better than going from rags to riches. It's having true riches that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor even our feeble minds can contemplate. It's all for us through Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement we have in the life of Moses. We thank you for your word that we can rely upon. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us a deeper faith. When we feel like giving up, when we feel like throwing in the towel, when we, when we decide that, hey, we want to we enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, help us to remember that you died for those sins. Help us to remember the punishment that was meted out for the, the smallest sins that we so easily and flippantly commit. Lord, convict us of that and grant us repentance. Give us a deeper faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.